Hi, everybody. I'm Nick Hardy. Been here for 22, three years. Married to Cutty. Even got our son Matthew sitting with us in the front here. He came here when he was six, and he's visiting us from, I don't know, way, somewhere. And uh, it's just wonderful to see you all. Um, we've got about 12, no, maybe 15 guys in Dubai. Um, they've just been mini conference in Dubai. Maybe I sent a clip. I don't know if you can put it up, if you can show it, Matt. So that's kind of, that's where they were last night, I think, having a desert barbecue. Um, so that's after the Dubai conference. It was about a two, three-day conference. So they, they were hanging in the desert and just um, eating some good old, I don't know if eating burrowbors. Maybe they'd found a, a, one of the buck in the desert, shot it, bright it. Um, do you have a clip of, of the worship guys? That's uh, Tula there. Can you see Tools, who's in America, popped over to Dubai. He took Keith with him. Uh, what, next year we're going to go to Dubai again. So I'd love to invite you. France and Ingrid are there. Mervyn and Ruth are there, Tula's there. Why don't you save up and, and next year, it's around about time, it's again in Dubai, 60 nations, you'll meet new people, perhaps planting, et cetera, et cetera. So just give me an update on that. Is that cool? Uh, next month, we've got the, the same Genesis team coming in here, ministering to us, telling us about the nations into the third space. Uh, I just read this morning about, or yesterday, about a guy from South Africa that's gone to Ukraine to go and help all the, the animals, all the dogs and cats that have been chucked out on the street. They've got no more homes. I just thought, so he's got a passion for animals. We have a passion for souls. And, um, you know, here's this guy just rocked up there, just collecting animals. I don't know what he's going to do with them. But, but isn't that wonderful that we South Africans are a going people, amen? And uh, we want to go to the nations. So um, that's what's happening. We want to be an outward-focused people. Um, I want to speak to you this morning out of... Thanks, Chris. One, two. I want to speak to you this morning um, about the, we're, we're in the, the gospel of Mark, okay? Is it 20 weeks, Chris? So we, we normally do a series, kind of eight weeks, push it to 12, sometimes 14. I think it's been a 20-week series, and we still feel that we're rushing a bit. Um, and I want to talk to you today about the passion of Christ. It's a, it's, it's a long section which I'm not going to be able to go into. I'm going to take one aspect of these are the things that my chapter or my section covers. It covers Gethsemane, where there was Jesus praying. It covers where Jesus was arrested by these, the, the religious leaders and the soldiers. It covers him before the Sanhedrin. It, it also covers the part where Peter very distinctly and clearly disowns him. I kind of think it's amazing how that was put in the Gospels, you know. It's about Jesus before Pontius Pilate. So he's tried by the Jewish leaders. They then send him to Pontius Pilate, who sends him to Herod, who sends him back to Pilate. You have the soldiers, uh, like, grabbing Jesus, um, um, sort of uh, arresting him, mocking him. Um, beating him. You have the crucifixion itself because remember next Sunday is Easter Sunday. It's where Jesus is raised from the dead. You have the death of Jesus. It's going to be a long sermon. <laughs> you have the death of Jesus and then you have the burial of Jesus. That's my section. Thanks, elders. It's the Passion Week. It's the week of suffering. Cutty spoke last week about Jesus being anointed for his burial. That a woman... Some woman called Mary of Bethany pours out a year's perfume on his body, anointing him for his burial. 
Um, perhaps, let's, so let's go to this text. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Uh, so good to see you this morning. And um, it's uh, picking up, I need to put these glasses on when I read out of the text. Otherwise, uh, I can read my notes. And so picking up from Mark chapter 14, I hope you can get it up there, verse 32. It's uh, under the title of Gethsemane. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So he's got the eights. He's telling them to sit. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, this is the master. This is Jesus. One word he wastes. He doesn't exaggerate anything, but he's sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch or stay here and pray. Going a little farther. Some of the, some of the gospels say a stone's throw away. Like, so if you throw a stone, you can probably, depends how agile you are, but if you're like me, throwing with your left hand, you could probably reach the glass. So not far. Okay, stone's throw is you can see, you can probably hear him praying. So going a little farther, um, uh, a little farther, he fell to the ground. Some, some things he knelt, but, but the Gospel of Mark says he fell to the ground. Big statement. And prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said to his mother, turn your water to one, my hour has not yet come. That he said, can this hour pass from me? Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup. What is this cup? Take it from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Okay? Stone throw. He's agonizing. They're probably looking, but they're just so drowsy. It's probably late at night. Simon, he said to Peter, that's his original name. He's kind of probably chastising him a little bit. He said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Big word. What, is, what does that mean? Jesus is trying to tell us something here. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. Okay, so it's a repeat prayer. When he came back again, he found them sleeping. Because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Like, you know, what are we going to say to this Jesus who seems to be super distressed? Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! Exclamation mark. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. What is Gethsemane? Gethsemane is a place of crushing. It's, an, it's the crushing of where you crush olive oils to get the, the oil out, okay? It's where Jesus would experience a form of his own crushing, his own pressing, where he would begin to suffer agony. It's an intense time. And so what he desires at this time is companionship. For some reason, he leaves the eights, because Judas is not there. He leaves the eights kind of maybe at the entrance to Gethsemane, which is a garden at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. And he brings the other three closer, but not in his immediate um, vicinity. We often want companionship in our suffering. I remember my, my grandmother said to me, I ask one thing of you, do not let me die alone. 
I said, I will try my best to be there. By God's grace, I was. And when we suffer, when we're in hospital, when we're going through agony, when we lose a loved one, we want companionship. Amen. So he desired that and he brought his disciples close. And so this is his most, some theologians say, his most intense temptation that Jesus is now being tempted and he's saying, ah, I don't want to go through what I'm meant to go through. And he is tempted. There's a battle that's beginning to ensue. He's tempted to say, Lord, I I can't do this. What you ask of me, so there's an issue of obedience. Some theologians say an intense, his most intense temptation. He was deeply distressed and troubled. Some of the Greeks say he was alarmed. Okay, so people say, hey, brother, you've got to be happy. You're the head, not the tail. You've got to get the joy of the Lord. Why are you downcast? Get a laugh, you know. Don't be negative. Well, what would you do here? Because sometimes God wants, in Jesus' case, through intense suffering and anguish and alarm, sometimes it might happen to us for different reasons. It'll never happen to us for the same reason here. His soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What's happening in the realm around Jesus is so intense that he is wanting to die, actually. These are big words. Why was it so intense? What was lying ahead of Jesus? He was literally, some translations say, staggering under the weight of what he was facing. He was literally falling to the ground. Luke twenty-two forty-four, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is the beginning, we would say, the writers would say, of the shedding of the blood of Jesus. So something's happening in Gethsemane, which the disciples have just can't comprehend. If we get this, we get the gospel. You can't get to the cross You can't get to the trial, you can't get to the burial or the resurrection or the ascension if you haven't understood Gethsemane. If you understand and I understand Gethsemane and understand the weight of what happened there, we will see how glorious and wonderful the resurrection really is. Otherwise, it's, yeah, well, he was raised from the dead, cool. And then he ascended, apparently, cool. In the meantime, Jesus is my hobby. I kind of do him on Sunday, but the rest of the day, he's kind of there, but, yeah, we kind of pray for grace before we eat, but not much else. But if you get Gethsemane, you get a lot. How do you get Gethsemane? You get and understand Gethsemane by understanding Isaiah 53. Won't you turn with me to Isaiah 53, which is prophesied about 700 years before. If, if, if you want to know about what's going on, your, your cue or your light is Isaiah 53, picking it up from verse 3. So Jesus is suffering something in his soul, in his mind, in his body, but it's not crucifixion yet, in his um, essence that this gives us a glimpse. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, we see it here, and familiar with sufferings, like one from whom men hide their faces. Almost, I feel that the disciples think, oh, Jesus, just our eyes, our lids are heavy. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Here it comes. He took up our infirmities, 
our, our ills, our sicknesses, our brokenness, our depression, our hatred, our insecurity, our vileness, our, what we see going on in the world. He, he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Now Jesus is beginning to carry our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God. God, what are you, this is your son. Why, people say, why would God strike his son? Smitten by God. Smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced. He was like, a, like stabbed with nails and with spears and with thorns in his head. He was pierced for our transgressions. What? Are you saying that somebody else will be pierced and struck and smitten for our transgressions? Yes, he was crushed in Gethsemane for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace we will have peace and he will have our punishment. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. People say, well, you won't believe what happened to this person. You won't believe what this Christian did. We have all gone astray. Amen. It should be no surprise to us, brothers and sisters, that so-and-so fell or so-and-so messed up. The day I say, Lord, well, well so-and-so fell or, you know, uh, Dave Rob did this and you know I'm so miffed and I'm leaving no 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 we all have gone our own way amen and we will all continue to make mistakes even the greatest in this room will still make mistakes and therefore we say I need Jesus we all on our knees amen because we have all like sheep gone astray each of us has turned to his own way the essence of what happened in Eden and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all this is what's happening in Gethsemane. This is the cup now. This is, this is the hour. This is what's now being physically poured out upon Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. Remember, they, they said, you know, what do you say for yourself? He said nothing. Well, would you defend yourself against all these accusations? No. All these faults. He said, I won't say anything. Speak up. Wouldn't say anything. And like sheep before his shearers are silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. They just took him away. You can speak of his descendants, for he was cut off from the land of the living. This is his death now. With the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Wow. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, two guys next to him, and, and with the rich in his death in, in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. This is the cup. This is the hour. What's in that cup? If you say drink the cup, there's something in the cup that Jesus is busy drinking. If you drink it and it's poisonous, it will kill you. It will go into you. It's a metaphor from just not saying, well, like I see it. No, you, if you drink it, it means it goes into you. You become it. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life, which speaks of his resurrection, and, um, and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. We are justified before Jesus, and he will bear their iniquities. And it goes on. What's happening in Gethsemane? What's happening is he is, be, he is being made sin for us. 
the father is laying his hands like the priest would do the goat, the scapegoat, and would lay the sin of the people of Israel upon the scapegoat and chase him out. And so Jesus is experiencing all of our stuff. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means he is beginning to bear and carry upon himself the full curse, the full penalty of the law. He would suffer forsakenness. He would bear our iniquity. He would bear our guilt, our shame. Every time, you, you, you know, the, the guy committed a murder recently 25 years ago. He said, I've lived with shame for 25 years and I'm here to hand myself in. I'm guilty for that cold case law that's been forgotten. I could no longer live with that shame. That shame is now placed upon Jesus and all the shame, all the pain, all the disgust on our behalf because he was sinless. Are you breathing? He would suffer rejection from the entire Jewish nation. He would be deserted by his disciples. This is the cup he is drinking. The false witnesses, the Roman leaders, the injustice, the brutality of the soldiers, he knows that's what's becoming his portion. They would mock him, curse him, accuse him, nail him. That's what you do to the guilty. If you were guilty of, of sin, of murder, you would be pierced, you would be crushed. He's suffering that. There was the human cruelty, the human brutality but there would be more, much more. He became our sin bearer. He would not become inherently sinful, but he would, he would bear our sin. He would take on our sin. So why is the intense so struggle, uh, why is this, the, the, the struggle so intense? Many, you've been seeing it now, people are being shot to pieces now. People are being bombed. People are being handcuffed, their hands tied and shot. They just like stand there and they get shot. You'll even see it on our jolly um, social media. But this seems to be a whole lot more than that. Why so intense? Because he was the opposite of all of these things. He was the opposite of what he had to become. He was, this was completely foreign to him. If you say to me, take on the sin of, say, Kati or whatever, I can understand that because I myself have suffered from sin. I myself am guilty of some sins. So I'm familiar with sin to some extent. Not only is Jesus completely unfamiliar with sin, but he now has to take on the sin of the world. <laughs> All the stuff. He has never known sin. He was tempted from a place of holiness. The devil would try and tempt him out of his holiness. The devil tempts us out of a place of our sinfulness. But the devil could never get him to succumb to temptation. He's experiencing and will experience the wrath of God. He'll, he will experience the wrath of man, and as you see, they spit on him, they curse him, they beat him, but he's beginning to experience the wrath of God. He has never known or experienced the wrath or punishment of God. We, to some extent, have experienced something of chastisement of parents, or, the, or the, even at times we've seen the, the anger of God, but now he's beginning to experience the wrath of God. He never knew alienation from God. He never had the slightest discord in his relationship with his father. This relationship is being severed. <laughs> 
Because he would say at the cross, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face away from me? And so Jesus is busy drinking this cup. It's a serious cup. Sinless perfection now becomes sin. And he begins to experience the full wrath of God. He had a different nature to us. We will never understand what he went through because we are not sinless. We are not pure. We are not holy. He had a different nature. He was 100% holy. We and unholy people long to be made holy. He, the holy one, is now being made unholy. That's his cup. Why all this so that we can be made holy? He had the scent of perfume on him. Because the lady the day before probably had poured a whole alabaster jar. But he's bleeding, he's weeping, he's falling, he's in anguish. He, want, he's, he wants to die. And he's asking God, please don't punish me for the sin of the world. Please don't put the wrath of all of history, of all of humanity, of all for all time on me. He's beginning to suffer it. That's why, brothers and sisters, if you get to the cross before you get to get Gethsemane gives us a glimpse of what's happening, what happened to Jesus on our behalf. The cup is being drunk. The hour has come. What kind of wrath would he experience? It's not a slap on the wrists with mitigating circumstances and a reduced sentence. We see the wrath of God just for a moment over Egypt. They, won't, they, they, they will not let Israel go. And the angel of, of death comes. They say the wrath of God. And all the firstborn just get taken out. Boom. The wrath of God is coming upon the sun. It's intense. It is staggeringly severe, as one theologian put it. Today, people don't want you to talk about the wrath of God. They want you to talk about discipline or obedience. It's like it's a complete taboo to talk about those things today. It's uncomfortable. Block it out. Remove it from your sermon, Mr. Pastor. If we take out Gethsemane, if we take out the wrath of God, if we take that out, we weaken the gospel and we weaken it and we weaken it until Christianity is just a Sunday hobby. And I know that the pastors and the leaders will be held to an account. Amen. The wrath of God appears 200 times about in the, in the Bibles. It's real. Jesus is experiencing as an act of grace on our behalf the full wrath of God. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He fell to the ground. This cup was so weighty, the hour so intense. Is it possible, God, to take this cup? It might, might it pass. He uses the word Abba. I can't go into the detail, but it's, that's the affectionate term a child would call his father. And he, he, almost, he almost says, Daddy, Abba, take this cup from me. This is, this is sinless perfection. This is, this is fully obedient Jesus. This is him being crushed. Now nah, I'll find my own way to heaven. All roads lead to heaven. Show me a man, as somebody said, that has suffered. Abba. Father, affectionate term, if it's possible, take this cup from me. 
everything's possible for you. Have you ever said, Lord, Lord, if you could have just stopped that car coming over the hill and crashing, you could have just saved my loved one, my child, my father, my mother, my spouse, my friend. God, you could have just chased that guy out of my office that's stolen all our money and, and caused our business to collapse. All things are possible. Why, why God? Jesus is there. Jesus is suffering. Jesus is in that place, amen? And he's wrestling with his dad. Luke 22, uh, 43 says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. God sends an angel. <laughs> I often thought, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing that, that in a you know, you know, I've seen people call for angels. I've seen people try and mimic angels. You want angels? Get into a prayer meeting. <laughs> That's where you get angels. Be, don't call for angels. You could call, get the wrong angel, amen? Be careful to call for angels. Let God send the angel to you and to me, amen? Let God send an angel. But for us to be calling for angels and insisting on angels, what does the angel say to Jesus? What do you think he says? We don't know. But probably the angels who sent to that's sent to strengthen him says, Jesus, the answer is no. The Father's not going to take the cup from you. Jesus, I want to strengthen you. I'm going to be with you. But Jesus, you're going to have to go through this. Christians, beloved brothers and sisters, it may be that you have to walk through your valley of the shadow of death, but he's in the fire with you. He's there with you. We want out, out, out. We want to run. We want to go. Jesus is asking, but the answer that he's given is no. Prayer activates angels. Hebrews 5, 7 says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. That's why stones throw away. They must have heard, but they were so sleepy. We get so sleepy on this earth, we don't even know what's happening. Sometimes we just like, this is the most important prayer meeting in the history of the world, and the disciples are sleeping. This is the most important um, prayer meeting in the history of the world, and and brothers and sisters, and the disciples are sleeping. It is the one prayer meeting that you don't want to miss, amen? But they missed it. So that the one who could save him from death, he's petitioning, he's praying. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. The the angel said, the father hears you. I hear your cry, but walk through it. Sometimes people say, pastor, what are you going to do now? How are you going to show me God? I said, can't, can't show you God. I said, I'm sorry. I wish I could. Can can, can you see my wife? No, no, can't. Can you see this? No, no. You, sir, have to walk through it. Every single Christian will walk through something. Amen and I'd rather put strength in you, sir. And would you put strength in me to walk through my day? To drink the cup was to obey his father. For Jesus to achieve complete victory and success and obedience and win this battle, he would have to drink the cup. Amazing, isn't it? And he would have to believe that some way, somehow, as he drinks the cup of death, that the father would raise him from the dead. Abraham had to sacrifice his son Isaac. Abraham had to drink the cup 
of offering his son as a human sacrifice. I can't get my head around that. The promised boy Isaac, he had to obey God. He had reached the point of no return as the dagger or the sacrificial knife was being plunged into Isaac. There must have been a point where he says it's done and he begins to throw his weight into sacrificing his son. What happens at that moment? An angel appears. There's the angel again. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What was Abraham's belief as the knife was coming down? Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us that Abraham believed that actually God would raise Isaac from the dead. Hebrews eleven nineteen. Jesus, you know the story. Jesus had to believe that as he was drinking the cup of the curse that he would have to, the wages of sin is death, that he would receive the wages of sin on our behalf, that he would die and he would have to wait and expect the Father to raise him from the dead. Everything is possible, Lord. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Both are emphatic Greeks. In other words, he says, he says but not what I will. It's not my will, God. It's your will, emphatic. So, so for all of us, it's the, it's the will of Nick versus the will of God. The, God gives Jesus free will. He gives us free will, doesn't he? The will of Jesus is distinct from the will of his Father, but it's not in opposition to it. It's when the Lord says, I said before you, life and death, choose life. You have a will. You have a will to stay married. You have a will to come to a prayer meeting. Am I proud of the fact that we've been going to a prayer meeting for 35 years every Thursday? No. But I'm so glad we have. Have I dragged kicking and screaming to prayer meetings? Yes. Have I dragged dragged myself kicking and screaming to the nations? Yes. Have I dragged myself kicking and screaming to church? At times, yes. (laughs) But I'm so glad I've done it. Because if Jesus can drink my cup of all my junk, past, present, and what my junk that comes tomorrow, and my past, my lack of faith, or my coldness towards my wife, or my aloofness towards my mandate of faith, the Father is interceding. Jesus is interceding. He says, Nick, I want you to be part of a fellowship. I want you to come to Pinetown. I want you to stick in there. I want you to go through. There's going to be days where it's like heaven. There's going to be days where it's like Hades. <laughs> but I want you to stick in. There's times where you're going to look at your wife and think, ah, I'm sorry, I need a new wife, Jesus. No, 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 no. You stick in. Because if I can drink my cup, you can drink your cup. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. We all have a cup to drink. Most of our cups are, every time we sit at our table, I think, God, how can we eat such a nice food? I think we're eating such unbelievable yogurts and ice creams and broccolis and desserts and steaks and mints. I don't know what your favorite. Curries, my Jesus. We just eat cold drinks and we have cars, we have sunshine. Hey, Jesus, I'm like, I'm busy, bro. No, he's... We must know Gethsemane, brothers. Because then, then, then we'll begin to respond. He turned his disciples, found them sleeping. Peter, you asleep? I want just one hour, Peter. He singles out Peter. Let him single you out. No, but what about so? Remember, I told you this, so I went to Chris. He said, I want you to do this, this, this in Glenridge. I was a young executive business guy, and I got cross with him. I had a list of 30, 29 names, I think, 30 names. 
I said, why do you ask these guys? Never turn down an invitation from a leader. Can I repeat that? Never turn down an invitation from a leader. When you get invited to a prayer meeting, go to it, amen? When you get invited to go to the nations, go to it. If Mikey comes to you, um, Tristan, and says, come with me to Madagascar. Tristan, go and faith the money and go to Madagascar. Because it's amazing that you could be a life, there could be a life-changing experience. Peter, watch and pray so you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The temptation, you know what stops us from falling into temptation is prayer. That's what Jesus, I didn't say it. I'm not clever enough. I would have come up with some other thing. Prayer. He gets strong and direct about prayer. He cites temptation at that time. There's a biblical invitation. He was inviting them into the intensity of his battle. Jesus was inviting them to, to see him drink his cup to see him pleading, to see him in his passion or his suffering in his history. I want you to experience the three. I don't know why Peter, James, and John, but for some reason, three. I don't know why the other eights. I'm sure the other eight said, so what happened? We could hear these, with these cries. Well, what, what, what is going on to the master? Oh, like, no, we're not sure we fell asleep. What? You fell asleep. We were like hoping, but you were invited. We were sort of chomping at the bits. What happened? He invited them into the biggest invitation probably ever. They wouldn't be at the cross. They wouldn't be. They would, some would be at a distance from the, from the, um, the arrest and all that. Because he says, okay, now let these go. You come for me, let these go. He says, come on, you will all fall away, go. But you need to be at the prayer meeting so that you experience something of what I'm going through. I'll give you a front row seat into a massively historical Moments. Come learn how to suffer. Come learn how to face trials. Come watch me bleed. Come watch me fall. Come watch me petition. Come see what it's like to have an angel attend in prayer. Tonight is Thursday. That was their Thursday night. Tomorrow is Friday morning. They would hang him on a cross at nine o'clock in the morning to about three o'clock. Now we're seeing the greatest events in the history of the world. These events, starting with the anointing, starting that we saw yesterday, Gethsemane, the arrest, the trials, the mockings, the beatings, the carrying of the cross, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection. These events have influenced world history more than any other events or events in the history of the world. You know that. That's what the historians, the historians will tell you. It's a world event happening in this little olive grove in the Olive Garden. This gospel needs to be shared for thousands of years. Disciples, watch and pray. <laughs> Open your eyes. Don't sit on the sidelines. Is it, is it easy? No, I don't think it's easy. I would have thought, Jesus, like you're having a panic attack. Oh, Jesus. He would say, Isaiah 53. Maybe he was, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just speculating. Maybe he's saying, Isaiah 53, do you remember it? That's what I'm going through. Are you becoming sin for us? Yes. If you don't get this part, we don't get the potency of the gospel. We will never understand the gravity of the fall. Our sin, 
our redemption, our salvation. You know what Paul says in Philippians 3? He says, I want to know Christ. Paul wasn't there. And I want to know the power, the dunamis of how he was raised from the dead. And I want to know the, and I want, and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. So he said to the disciples, come share my sufferings. Come see what I'm going to go through. And then I want to become like him in his death. There's a lady called Sarah Jump that is preaching to the guys in Dubai. She's the lady, her and her husband, they do the Silk Road, 400 million people, of which there are 2,000 Christians. And what's her, what's her ministry called? Live Dead. <laughs> Live Dead. That's, her, that's the name of her ministry. You want to join it? No, thanks. I want to live prosperous. I want to live like, I want to have a cool house, bro. I want like an increase this. You know, and we all, I, I want a good education for my kids. No, Live Dead. Sarah Jump, I've got a picture of her preaching to the guys in Dubai. We were with her last two years ago in Istanbul. History is made. He would come down from heaven. He would lead a sinless life. He would lay down his life. He would bear our sins. He would take up our punishment. He would be silent. He would forgive on the cross. He would die. He would rise again. He would appear to hundreds. He would pour out his spirit. He would seek the lost he would live to intercede for us. He would give us a new heart. He would put us into a family. He'd give us eternal life. He'd go ahead and prepare a place for us. He would come back to get us. He'd prepare a meal for us and love us. He would forgive us ongoingly. This morning, God can clean your slate. You think, Nick, I've got a, I've got a problem. He'll clean your slate. That's, that's the kind of savior he is. How, what gives him the right? He drank the cup of your sin and my sin, not just Sin past, sin today, sin tomorrow. Sometimes we don't even know that we've caused sin. I can tell you there's some pastors that have destroyed entire churches and they think they, they were right. And God says, you just, just destroyed something I built. You say, the guy, like he's, you know, he's messing around with somebody else. He's saying, actually, which is worse? They're all, they're all bad. I don't know what's, what, what's happening in, in Ukraine right now. But I can tell you this, that Jesus is drinking the cup of the guys that are driving their tanks looking at an old family in a car and deciding, let's, let's total them. Turn the tank, blow them to smithereens and drive off. Jesus has to bear that sin. Jesus will bear the sin of a man called Putin or whoever, or Adolf Hitler or Idi Amin or whoever else that we don't even know about. And he will bear the sin of children and families. This is a savior of note, brothers and sisters, that I cannot even comprehend in my mind. He will come back to get us. He'll prepare a meal. He will love us, forgive us, conform us to his image. He will write our names in the book of life. He would marry us as we heard this morning. He will keep us. He will defeat Satan. He has defeated death. And it goes on and on. And he comes back and he finds him sleeping a second time. Happens three times. The disciples lost the battle of prayer. They fell asleep. Arise, he says, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Gethsemane, brothers and sisters, is huge, and it doesn't have to weigh you down. It should actually lift you up and say, Lord, I worship you. Lord, I thank you. Lord, you have been so good to me. Thank you that we live in South Africa right now. Thank you. You don't want to be a Russian right now or living somewhere in the West, do you? Because people think, oh, I don't want you around. There's stuff going on in the world. There's wars and rumors of wars. Say, Lord, I thank you. 
Jesus is amazing. Where am I in my notes? Two gardens. Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane. Battle lost in the Garden of Eden. They lost, they got tempted, they were defeated. Satan came in. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there's victory because Jesus says, it's done. I'll drink it. What, what Adam blew, I restore. Where Adam disobeyed, I obey. My obedience I give to you as a gift and I take on your disobedience. My fracture, my tearing, my disowning becomes your reconciliation, amen? Coming, bringing to an end. How are we doing, guys? Jesus' death was the most difficult death in the history of the world. Can I repeat that? The death of Jesus was the most difficult death in the history of the world. It was the most important death in the history of the world. It was the most sacrificial death in the history of the world. It was the most anticipated death heaven was waiting, that he would have to die. It was the most significant death in the history of the world. Of the world. Why does the church continue? Why has the church been sustained for 2,000 years? Why are the seven churches getting into such trouble at the book of Revelation after 30, 40, 50 years? Do you know why we're here? Because Jesus is the builder of the church, not because of anybody. Never look at the history of VFC or Red Point and look at the leaders or the elders or the deacons and say, wow, that was so amazing. No, Jesus is amazing. Amen. Jesus is amazing. And that's why the, the thing that we have to do, if people say, you know, like, why has the church been sustained over 42 years? Because not, not every church has. Many churches haven't. Many churches are empty. If you were to ask me what was the main reason, I would say prayer. Uh, you, need, you need like X-factor leadership. Rubbish. X-factor leadership. Peter saying, I don't know. A servant goes, yeah, but you, you can see how you speak, but you speak with a Galilean accent. We know... Curses himself, swears, denies Jesus. You know, give the, this guy, the main guy, the guy that's sleeping, the guy that chops off a guy's ear. If Jesus didn't heal the ear, they would have arrested him. But he thought, oh, Peter, you need to get out of here because so he heals the guy's ear and he says, go. This is the guy that he would be using this man to build his church. But through him, amen, because so they arrest Jesus. He lets, one guy, one theologian says, when Judas kisses him, it's not a little, it's like master. You know that kiss? I mean, it's kind of eerie how the kiss, men kiss in those days. Jesus just stood there. Kiss me, bro. Kiss my hand. Kiss my cheek three times if you want. Embrace me. It's the one I kiss. It's the one, you know, just that's the one. Jesus just stands there. Kiss me. Just, just, just wait a second, Judas. Pick up the ear. Pete, put your sword away. That is a crazy guy, Peter. Sleeping, now sorting. Denying, going back fishing. I'm Peter, amen? I'm a sleeping disciple. I'm one of the eight. I'm the one who says, I don't know what, what you're doing, Jesus. I don't know why you're getting so intense. Why are you having such a panic attack? Amen. I'll close with this somewhere in my notes. 
1460, then the high priest stood up before them and before them and asked Jesus, Are you are you not going to answer us all these accusations? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? Come on, Jesus, speak. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Now, now he says, All these people, they're all. They're, they're, all the testimonies don't agree. So the, even the high priest says, oh, we've got a bit of a problem here. So he, says, he presses Jesus and he says, are you, are you the one? Are you the one, the blessed one? What did Jesus say? He says, I am. So now he asks a direct question. He says, now I'm the blessed one. I'm the Messiah. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the, majest, of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. I'm thinking, Jesus, why did you say that? He not only says, but he, he says, no, you're going to see me with, with the Father. You're going to see me in all glory. And then the, 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 the high priest just tears their clothes. He says, because Jesus is saying, I'm drinking, I've drunk the cup in Gethsemane. I know what you're going to do. You're going to crush me. You're going to pierce me. And he gives himself. Isn't that amazing? What an incredible story. Guys, you have to take it on to the, before Pilate, I find a fault in him. Says to Herod, there he's yours. Give you Barabbas. No, don't want Barabbas, want Jesus. Soldiers mock him, punch him. His hour had come, but the victory was won in Gethsemane, amen? Oftentimes, it's not that. It's actually happened in the, in the grove on our knees. We're agonizing. They crucify him. They bury him. The disciples are gone. And next Sunday, we're going to talk about him being raised. Why don't you stand with me, please?